This morning's sermon text comes from 1 Thessalonians, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 10, if you'll hear the good words that Paul has written. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. This is the word of God for the people of God and all God's people say. Would you pray with me? Holy and mighty God, we thank you for this powerful little letter to the church in Thessalonica. Not often are we prompted to read and to understand and to open up all that you have for us through this text. And so we pray, God, that that would happen for us this morning. May the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. And all God's people say, amen. Perhaps... Not as regularly these days, but prior to COVID-19, most of us had some form of opportunity to enjoy a meal at a restaurant. Sometimes those meals were even at a fancy restaurant. You know, the kinds with the sign that says, please wait to be seated. The individual responsible for seating customers is the host or hostess, and most always in the process of placing the menu and the rolled up silverware in front of you, they'll let you know the name of the person that will be waiting on you. And since we're at a fancy restaurant this morning, your waiter or waitress would likely bring you a drink and along with that, some form of carbohydrate-packed pre-meal snack. If you're at a really fancy place, they'll give you real butter to smother all over those carbohydrates. And I'll even go so far as to say is if you're at a really upscale nice place, that real butter will already be soft. And there's nothing, nothing more depressing than spreading, trying to spread cold butter on your bread. 
As I think about the wait staff's responsibilities, it feels like they have two distinct phases of waiting on guests. There's an active phase of waiting. This is when they actively engage the guests in an easy and friendly conversation. They offer information about the special of the day. And when our family goes to a restaurant, there's always questions that they must answer. Does the special come with a salad? Do I get one or two sides with that? When you get a chance, can you bring us some more carbohydrates, please? And also some butter. The active phase includes all of the walk-bys just to make sure everything is going well, to refill drinks, and finally the cordial thank you and sending out. But there's also a passive phase of waiting. The passive phase is the downtime. It's when they get to leave the guests to themselves, to chat and to eat and to, to conduct business. It's when they can acceptably ignore the guests, but not for too long. The wait staff spends a lot of time I mean, in fact, they spend their entire workday waiting on people. It used to be that the waiter or waitress was also responsible for delivering your food. It seems pretty common these days that some stranger, whose name we never get, is responsible for delivering our food to us now. The servers arrive at your table and with precision and efficiency manage to place the meal that you've ordered right in front of you. And in no time at all, the serving staff shows up, delivers, and moves on to the next table. Their purpose in the restaurant isn't to ask a bunch of questions or to make suggestions or recommendations. They put their heads down and do what the orders tell them to do. Friends, isn't the Christian calling lived out in real life just like the waitstaff and the servers? Paul's first letter to the church at Thessalonica was an important letter, and the first ten verses are incredibly impressive. Right off the bat, in verses 3 and 4, we get this great picture of the incredible transformation happening in Thessalonica. It says that Paul and Timothy and Silas knew that the brothers and sisters in the church there had set about completing work produced by faith, that their labors were motivated by love, and that they continue to do all of this because they've been, been inspired by their hope in Jesus Christ. Paul, Timothy, and Silas were ecstatic. They were beside themselves that the faith of those in Thessalonica was known everywhere, and that in verse 8 they wrote that they therefore do not need to say anything about it. Finally, finally, 
a church that didn't need corrected. You could imagine how Paul must have felt so good. But tucked in at the very end of the chapter are verses 9 and 10, and they themselves pack quite a wallop because contained within them are two words that describe the Christian faith. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. It says that they served and they waited. The Christians in Thessalonica had turned their backs on all the idols that surrounded them and served the living God. Serving the living God meant serving all that God had created. And so the Christians in Thessalonica must have put their heads down and got busy. If God asked them to care for the widows and the orphans, then they did it. If God asked them to feed the hungry, then they did it. If God asked them to love their neighbor, then that's what they did. They showed up every day focused on running around Thessalonica with the sole intent of putting their faith in God into action. They provided. They protected. They fed. They healed. They helped. And they loved. All of that for everybody around them. Their days were spent serving all the people. And it also says that they waited on Jesus to return. If we were to read further into this letter, we'd learn that one of the issues that Paul did want to address with this church was that they'd actually distorted the notion of Jesus' return, which they believed was going to happen pretty soon, like in a day or two, or at most a week. Because of that, Paul was concerned that the Christians had stopped working altogether they were literally waiting on Jesus to come back and usher them into heaven. I can picture them tapping their watches and looking around at each other and waiting for the host to show up and usher them to their heavenly banquet table. Serve and wait. Two qualities that are still fundamental fundamental responsibilities in our call to Christian living today, even after all these centuries. Each of us have decided that serving a living God is much more fulfilling than all the idols we could have. We've discovered that obeying and following God's orders actually lead us to a rewarding and righteous life. We've discovered that when we show up every day with a spirit to serve God, our days are busy serving other people, and we learn that in our service to others, our own lives become more meaningful and more richly blessed. 
And so God has also asked us to provide. Are we? God has also asked us to protect. Are we? God has also asked us to feed. Are we? God has also asked us to heal. Are we? God has also asked us to help. Are we? God has also asked us to love. Are we? There is the waiting also, because waiting is also part of our Christian calling. You and I, like the waitstaff at the restaurant, actively and passively wait on Jesus Christ too. When we let Jesus Christ into our lives, we enter into a relationship with Jesus, and at first it's cordial and comfortable. Jesus loves us, we love Jesus. Then our relationship matures and Jesus asks us some questions. And we must answer all of them. And we listen too, because we know that Jesus will tell us what he wants from us. We talk. We make suggestions, we make recommendations for our lives, and then we wait. We spend a lot of time waiting, don't we? Because sometimes it feels like Jesus remains silent in our lives for far too long. Not until Jesus reveals his plan for us every day, Can we set about fulfilling his requests of us? There is passive waiting too. We know and believe that Jesus Christ will be coming again. We don't know the day or the hour, but we have placed our lives in the promise that Jesus will return, and upon his return, there will be a time of victory and glory and celebration. The Thessalonians were waiting for this, and aren't we also? 2020 has proven that we can't wait any longer for this. Until he does come, we are passively waiting for this new beginning and the glory that will certainly follow. The Christians in Thessalonica have given us a tremendous example of serving and waiting. They've done it really well, and I hope and pray that we right here and right now might follow that example. It says in verse 8 again, The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. That is our challenge today, isn't it? Shouldn't we be striving to let the message of Jesus Christ ring out in Darlington so that our faith in God would be known wherever we go? 
as Christians that gather in this church, shouldn't that be our goal, that those in our towns know that we are Christians? I think it's possible. And I think it begins when we realize that all those other idols that we've been worshiping aren't sufficient. And we set those aside and devote our time and energy to serving the living and the true God. And by patiently waiting on Jesus Christ to reveal his incredible plan for each of us in the world right here and right now. And for him to fulfill his promise of returning victoriously and joyfully to do exactly what we show up at the restaurant to do. To wait for Jesus Christ to seat us at our own heavenly banquet table. Won't that be a wonderful day? Won't that be a glorious day? And I can't wait for it. Would you pray with me? Holy God, we pray that the challenge before us would settle into our spirits that we might accept the challenge, recognizing that you have called us to serve, that you have asked us to wait. And so as patiently as we can, O oh God, we pray that we might do just that. And while we wait, that we might always and continually serve you in our places today. All this we pray and all God's people say.